It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. I'm here with Tracy today, and I am really excited to see where this conversation goes because Tracy, knowing that you focus on organizing, decluttering, just working through the elements of clutter in terms of how that relates to positivity in your life, all of these subjects, before I even met you, I'm thinking like, how do we make this unique? How do we come at clutter and organization from angles that I haven't with other guests before? And I've even told your team behind the scenes, like, okay, I want to pace this out because I have covered this. But as soon as I sat down with you, Tracy, I'm thinking, there is so much here, just in you as a person. So I'm excited to hear about the work that you do, your book that came out a few months ago as of the time of this recording. And also, just you as a human being are so compelling. Especially, <laughs> I feel like I'm a work. Mentioned- I feel like I'm a work in progress always. I'm like, well, I'm just trying to be one percent better today. <laughs> but that in itself, what an amazing lesson! Aren't we all a work in progress? And that one percent better is something that isn't often talked about. As you and I had mentioned earlier, my aim with this show is to approach wellness a little bit differently, like not from the surface. And there's a lot of, I think, messaging that goes out about wellness, well-being, health, whatever that means for someone. It can be very formulaic and can also put pressure on people thinking that they have to get 50% better, 100% better. But what if it could just be 1% better, like you're saying? Yeah. One of the first things, I've been a professional declutter and organizing organizer for 15 years. I don't know, 3,000 clients, 5,000 clients, some crazy amount. And thing that I realized, another piece of the puzzle is I am the child of a hoarder. So I grew up watching my father deal with a true disorder. And so it gave me a lot of empathy going into it. And one of the things that I realized when I started my business, kind of not even knowing that it was a business, I was like, I just can help people with this. And I like getting things. But I realized that so much about the conversation around organizing, especially even more than decluttering, is sort of coming from this place of like, it needs to be perfect, and it needs to be labeled, and you need to have the inside of your fridge organized. And for my clients, I was like, this doesn't work. Like, I love a pretty bin. I love it. Like I like that kind of order, but I was very quick to learn that what works for some people doesn't work for other people. And I feel like so many organizers kind of make these pretty Pinterest pictures, but aren't taking into account how each person lives their life. So my approach has been like, what works for you? What's your goals? Like, why do you want to work on this. That's such an important thing. Like, why do you want to work on this? What's not working? Why do you want to work on it? And how can I facilitate that? And I think another really big component, I want to get this in here because I think you and I'll springboard from this, 
is at its basis, at its bottom, our home is a tool. Our home is a place that we rest and we restore and we replenish. Yes, we'd love it to look beautiful, of course, because we want to see beautiful things. But the goal isn't to make it look beautiful to look beautiful. The goal is to make it work. And then you add the beauty around it. So I just feel like that's always been my goal. I want it to work for you. And then we can talk about the icing on the cake. Have you read or heard of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning? I think the author is Casey Davis. I've seen it. She's a big TikTok star, right? Yes. Yeah. Domestic something. Yeah. Yeah. Domestic blisters. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I didn't know about her. I would see the book because we kind of neck on the Amazon list. I'm always like, who is that? And to me, sort of came out of nowhere. But I started following her on TikTok and I was like, oh yeah. And she's a therapist and she's very sort of forgive yourself. And one of the things that I love about what she says, like love, as opposed to the other big organizer out there that everybody follows who says like, you do it, you take six months off your life and you organize it and then you're done. It's like, this is a constant process. This is the big thing I've been talking about so much lately to people is like, you need to add a decluttering and organizing component into your life. Like it's constant, more stuff comes in, more stuff goes out. So that's one of the things that I think that she's just so realistic. Like your house is going to get messy. Like it's just gonna. And so that's also my conversation for people. Like, yeah, you got to on Sundays, take an hour and put your house back together. She's also one of the first people, which I'd been saying for a long time, to talk about the difference between cleaning, decluttering, and organizing. Yes. Actually, I'm really glad that you brought that up too. Because the reason I mentioned her book is because she really helped reframe this idea that it's not about making it perfect. It's about making it functional. And I thought, that is so helpful. It's every time I look at my clutter or any disorganization in my home, I'm like, how can I just make this functional? And it takes the weight off the pressure, just like you're saying. And it doesn't have to be pretty, perfect, Instagram-worthy, Pinterest-worthy, all of these things that sadly have really been a bit detrimental. I mean, even on TikTok, I'm actually not even interested. When somebody's house looks too picture-perfect, it loses the appeal. Kind of like you and I were talking about offline when it comes to like integrity and authenticity on social media. That actually does a disservice to the average person because it's too much pressure. Yeah, I'm going to just... I'm going to start with a couple things about this. First of all, saw the greatest TikTok where this someone was doing one of those restocking videos where they're making everything perfect. And then this woman de- stitched it and she like leaned in and she's like, where's your food? Like... You're putting all the little baby cheeses and you're putting all the little kids. Where's your food? Like, and I was like, yeah, where's your food? I get a lot of calls from potential clients that they want these perfect, the Pinterest, they show me the glass jars with the wood tops and the pantries. And I'm like, okay, I can give you that. Like, I can absolutely give you that. But you need to understand that is a huge amount of upkeep. Like, you need to once a week give that pantry an hour or two to keep it looking like that. So, If you want to spend your time doing that, knock your socks off. But you have to understand that level takes so much work. And for me, I don't care. Like it's my pantry. I know where everything is. I can get to it. I can cook a delicious meal. I don't care that it's not perfect. 
that's not where I want to put my energy and my time. So I think that this is where social media is oof, sometimes really tough in the same way around diet culture and all that stuff. It's like, oh, well, there's you're watching all these people right now lose all this weight. And you're like, well, you're on the shot. Like, you're not saying you're on the shot, but you're on the shot. Like, we can tell. <laughs> Whitney's like, what's the shot? <laughs> no, I think I know what you're talking. Is that the shot that they're suspecting the Kardashians took? I forget the name. It's a diabetes drug. Ozempic. It's called Ozempic. Yeah. yeah. Everybody's I... on it. And it's, you can't keep up. You can't do it. It's not sustainable. You can't do it. And all these young women are like, well, I can do that in three weeks. It's like, no, you can't. You're They're spending $1,000 a week for a shot. That for me is the same. It gets wrapped into these organizing videos where people are like, I want this. And I'm like, okay, you can have that, but you're going to have to put so much time and effort into it. Is there a way can we find part of that or some of that and be realistic? I'm so very much about how much time do you have to put into this and how much time do you want to put into it? I like to tidy my closet. It calms me down. I like to go in there and move my shirts around because I just, after it's like, I like it. I know that's, but a lot of people don't. So, but how can we make a closet that you can upkeep and function in? Oh my gosh. You're saying so much that's right up my alley, Tracy. I mean, there's so many directions to go in. Like I was suspecting when I started talking to you because this idea of keeping up, I mean, we have the name of that show, Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Like all these years later, after that was established, we see how true that still is. Like we see them. My mind even went to, I think it's Chloe, right? Who had that Oreo jar with that was like her Oreos were stacked in a certain way. And the the Kardashians often show their pantries and everything's just perfect. And it's nice to look at. There's a reason why people, I think, follow them because it's pleasant to look at how they look physically, how their homes are structured. But it's really not aspirational because who can achieve that? full-time staff that keeps that up like that. Like it's a full-time staff. I know how long it takes. Like I'm like, Oh no, I know. I can tell you. Like I have a couple clients who, one of my women who works for me, who makes things look beautiful. She goes every six weeks to their house and tidies it up and they want to spend their money that way. And great. But people just need to understand like it's a full-time staff. And is that how you want to spend your time? Really? Or your money even, right? Because a staff is going to cost a lot that's not accessible to everybody. And then I think about so many of my friends that have children, which I don't have. And I see how the average person even, or I'm sorry, not even the average, but my average friends, if I were to think about them, group them all together, a lot of them have financial resources, right? But they can't even keep up. I mean, because they're in a different echelon, And they're so focused on their children and or their work that they're doing, if they're still having a professional career, that their homes are probably not going to be in great order. Even some of those that have help, the help can't even keep up with it a lot of the time. Totally. And I get brought in this scenario a lot. We've had our first kid. We've had our second kid. Our house is out of control. It's not working. We can't find anything. And you know, the place I always start, I'm like, you need to have less stuff. The more stuff you have, the harder it is to upkeep. Like we need to draw that correlation for people. It's like more stuff you have, the harder it is to be organized. 
And then also in that conversation, which nobody else is talking about, was why I wrote the second book, Make Space for Happiness. What are you bringing into your house? Like, we can't talk about decluttering if we're not talking about the acquisition cycle. Like, clutter gets in there. Like, everyone looks at me when I go into a cluttered house and they're like, look at me like, I don't know how this got here. Like, someone just brought it in the middle of the night. And I'm like, no, you ordered it off of Amazon. A holistic look at our relationship with stuff. And in a very positive, like, I'm not here to shame anybody. I'm not here to, like, we are in the same way that we have to realize we're being marketed to 24 hours a day, all the time, everywhere. Like, we're being told to buy, 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 buy. But we've got to take some accountability. So I'm saying to people, like, let's stop. Let's look at what's going on. Let's look at what's not working. So look at what's not working and why is it not working? And then let's slowly implement the changes to make it work for what your goal is. I love that you're so goal-centered. And also we're talking about social media and marketing, which are such important subject matters when it comes to cleaning, tidying, organizing, decluttering, all of these things that a lot of people are hoping to do, even if it's just to make things more functional. Given that you've been doing your work for at least 15 years, right? What changes have you seen in the way people's homes look? Because social media has actually evolved along that time with you. If we go back to what, 15 years ago is 2008-ish, 2007. Since I've been focused so much on social media and watching that grow, you're simultaneously watching how homes are evolving over time. What changes do you see in not only how they look, but also the mentality of the people that live there. I have seen that people are much more leaning into the visual of how it looks. I want it perfect. I want it, but they don't want to put the work in or they don't understand. I think social media has not done a really good job of showing, here's how we get here. Like, if you want this, you've got to put all these steps in. Everyone's like, oh, poof, it just happens. And it's like, not poof. I mean, when we do a house, we can be there for a week or two and I have a team of people. And so I think that part has been, that's been the biggest change. Now I will say, and I don't know if this is TikTok that did this. Maybe this is what TikTok kind of brought to the conversation, but I am starting to see a bit like Casey and domestic blisters. And I am starting to see a lot of people who are like, it ain't that easy or people are starting to get honest. And I think TikTok in some ways brought a bit of a more honest point of view to it. I mean, it's a hellscape over there in its own way. But I think that there's a bit of a people are more honest about their struggles. And for me in creating my content, look, can I talk to you about what bins work and look the prettiest? Of course, I've been doing this for 15 years. I'm not interested in that conversation. I'm interested in why are you hanging on to a closet full of clothes that don't fit you anymore so that every day you beat yourself up about not being able to fit in those clothes? Like what's going on with that? And how do we get to the root of that so that you can have a closet full of clothes that you love and you're not literally beating yourself up every morning? I mean, I'm working with someone right now who's amazing and she had a baby and she's just like so hard on herself. I'm like, you literally pushed a human out of you. like okay, those pants don't fit anymore. Like, come on. So it's really looking at what's not working, why it's not working, and how do we get it to the place that you want it to be? 
Well, I'm a huge fan of why questions. <laughs> I love that you ask why because I ask why about everything. And I really like to know the why. So what are some of the whys that come up for people? Like, What have you discovered? It's almost like a therapeutic process you're describing. It's 1000% therapeutic. I joke with my clients all the time when they're going through something. I'm like, there's a shrink in Beverly Hills that gets like $400 an hour to do this, but I love it. So my first book that came out a couple of years ago, Making Space Clutter Free, I identified these seven, I call them the clutter blocks. So these are these stories. They're universal I did this for a long time and I was like, oh, everybody has one of these stories. So there are those stories we tell ourselves about our stuff and why we can't let it go. And that just everyone was like, oh my golly, I've never looked at it this way. It's everything from things that keep me stuck in the past to stuck with other people's stuff to the stuff I keep paying for. And then when it came to writing the second book, I really started to look at people's acquisitions and people's buying. And I was like, oh, there's a correlation. There's something missing. The way I describe it is like as if we were a jigsaw puzzle and we were missing one of the pieces and we think that the stuff that we buy is going to fill that piece. So we're going to buy the right face cream or the right purse or the right car. And so we shove all this stuff in there and it doesn't work. And then you're like just left with all this stuff. So those I call the clutter magnets. There's something missing inside of us that we're magnetizing the clutter. And it's everything from true connection, right? You don't have intimacy in your life, so you go shopping or big love or self-respect or self-confidence. Self-confidence, I see so much. I'm going to, this face cream is going to fix it. This apparatus, this jade roller, this whatever the thing is. And look, I love products, a great moisturizer, all that stuff, but also, I mean, this is where I get on my soapbox about the term anti-aging. We're aging. We age. This, what do you mean anti? Like, I'm so lucky. I'm 57. Like, I'm still here another day. I don't want to anti-age. So it's really like that for me, there was this other component of the decluttering and organizing conversation about, well, what are you bringing in and why are you bringing it in? Why? What are you trying to fill? And so sort of helping people look at those from both directions, it's just all of a sudden, the DMs every day, people are like, a light bulb went on. But I didn't understand why I couldn't declutter. I was, I think I was just lazy or I'm a bad housekeeper. And it's like, no, if you're not looking at the emotional component, okay, you can watch all the restocking videos you want. But if you don't know that somehow it's a relationship actually about your relationship to your body, then you're going to keep buying clothes that don't fit you. So that's where I like to go. And then great, let's talk about organizing, color coding. I love all that stuff too. But I want to look at the emotional because it's we buy our stuff and we protect ourselves with it. That is really fascinating. It's something I kind of think about, but not as consciously as you're sharing this because I'm noticing my relationship with stuff shift. I've read, of course, the life-changing magic of tidying up and like thinking about what brings me joy, what doesn't serve me, all of those things. Re I read a lot of these books and self-help being such a big passion of mine and examining my why. And I'm also very curious about other people's whys. And since we mentioned TikTok, where it sounds like you're spending time, I spend more time there than any other social network because of the tendency for it to be authentic. But I'm also seeing so much marketing there 
in terms of people sharing like all the things that they bought that made a difference. And I get drawn into it because I'm like, wow, that thing's so cool. That could save me all this time and it might be fun to you. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. And then so many of us do, six, right? Yeah. And then in six months, it's just going to become clutter or the Instapod is going to become the George Foreman grill. And, and it's funny, I one of the clutter magnets is testing time that you buy gadgets to save you time. And the joke I make in the book is like, okay, so with that 15 seconds or three minutes you saved, did you learn Mandarin? Like, what did you do with that extra time that you had to buy a mushroom slicer? Couldn't you just use a knife? So I think that, hey, look, of course, I had a very, this is where TikTok was great. Sort of unitaskers, things that only do one thing make me crazy. And I'm like, they just are clutter and you can build so much you can do with a knife. And so, so a client had this, strawberry slicer with the shape of a strawberry. And I was like, this is ridiculous. And this is one of the upsides of social media is people were like, look, I am, I have terrible arthritis. I can't hold a knife anymore. These tap, these things. And I was like, oh, wow. Like that was so ableist of me. And that was where social media was like, can I made another video to say like, I learned something like this is have to rethink how I approach this. And so I think that I am just so leery of this thing, this, that marketing statement. And I do see it a lot on TikTok. This thing is going to fix all your problems. It's not. I got chills hearing you talk about that example because I think a lot of us have a lot of work to do in terms of recognizing when we're being ableist. I actually found this fantastic account, which... I don't remember the name off the top of my head, but I'll put it in the show notes for the listener. It's actually been really helping educate me. And the content creator made a video about gift wrapping. That was my big like aha moment, just showing how simple shifts in the way that we think about something as basic. We might even take advantage of like the ability to unwrap a gift and how for some people that's really challenging. And I think it was on that same account they've been pointing out all these other tools that some people might look at and say like, why do you need that? That's silly or unnecessary. But maybe those tools were designed for somebody based on their physical needs. So thank you for acknowledging that and bringing that up. And that just goes to show like the perspective shift for something might not be for us. And for your big question of why do we want to buy something? Is that really for us? Does it help us function? Versus is that, to your point, like these seven big desires of or the draws of something? Can we go through that list and help us determine whether this something, this thing that we want is serving a need or fulfilling a need for us? Exactly. And I feel my duty, my job really as an organizer to come in and as an expert is to hear like, how do you, you... So today was a great example. I was working with a client. She has these beautiful purses. She has exquisite taste. She has these beautiful purses. And her life is sort of... She's got a young kid right now. And she was... A lot of these purses, she will be able to pass along to her daughter. So she's like, I want to keep the original boxes because when I pass them along to my daughter, she'll know. And she has a house that she could storm in. And I was like, okay. That makes sense. Like if there's a thoughtfulness put in and sort of here's my reason and maybe it's a little quirky, but this is why I want to do it. I was like, great. 
And so I think that's the thing to think about. And that's why sometimes that's where I always try and come from on social media is like, I'm offering you another place to look at it. I did a post, the kind of post that sort of blew me up. I do them on Instagram and TikTok, but I do things to declutter in five minutes. Take five minutes. Here's a category you can do. It's great. People are like, I've done my whole house and I didn't even notice it. But the first post that really blew up like a million views was I did coffee mugs. I talked about coffee mugs. So people came at me from my cold, dead hands and I have every Starbucks cup and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, but what came out of it that was so fascinating is all these teachers were like, hi, I'm a teacher. Every year I get 10 coffee mugs from students. Can I get a coffee or can I get a Starbucks gift card? Or that all of a sudden these, it was this opening for these teachers. And so I did a little poll and it, that like people were like, and all these people were like, I never know what to get a teacher. I want to get them something. And the teachers were like, basically the teachers had spoken. They were like, we love your thoughtfulness. I do not need a coffee mug. Like, a pound of coffee. Fantastic. And so that's where social media kind of in very real time, you can get these answers that I sort of knew, but it's like, oh yeah, here we go. You also said something really interesting that I want to put a bead on. And this is like in terms of very real changes that like we can implement where people, somebody who's listening, who's struggling with clutter or they're like over shopping or the sales are happening. And they're one of the first things that I tell people is stop saying you need something. I need a new pair of jeans. I need a new purse. You don't. I know you want it and that's okay, but you need to say that. And people just switching that languaging to say like, I want a new pair of jeans couple things happen. A lot of times you realize it's a want and it goes away. And you're like, oh, I'm fine. I don't really. Or if it stays with you. So I think that when we put that word need around stuff, there's so little stuff we actually need that just taking that power in language is so helpful to people. And it's such a little shift that you can just do and you don't have to soul search and you have to write notes. It's just like, just start saying that. Just try for a couple of days. Like see how often you say, oh, I need something that you don't actually need. I'm so glad that you brought that up because when I shifted that language, also should, I've had a few guests on the show that have really taught me about that as well as should and need and these words that do have so much power and impact us and not just internally, but externally too. Going back to your wonderful point about aging, I'm super sensitive to that too. I think one thing I really don't like about TikTok as a platform and social media as a whole skews young. And you have a lot of young people that are super impressionable and they're hearing all this anti-aging talk and perpetuating it. And now the focus on anti-aging to me is really uncomfortable Because when you're saying those words, even if they're about yourself, saying them out loud or in a public forum like TikTok, for example, has this ripple effect that gets other people thinking, do I need this? Should I do this? Anti-aging, do I need to buy more? All of these things, there's a personal responsibility and a public responsibility to the way that we speak. 
And I think most people are unconscious of that. Totally. And I think that in that same, like the way that you sort of look at diet culture. And I mean, I do love on TikTok, all the young women that talk about their almond moms. I had an almond mom who were like, we had five almonds. I mean, I couldn't possibly like, and I grew up with an almond mom. And I think, again, I'm 57. I'm deep into menopause. I, all my friends are in menopause. And the amazing thing is I'm seeing these women start companies in their 50s. Like their kids have grown. Like I'm like, what? This is like great. Like they don't give an F. My best friend, I have had the same best friend we met when we were four. So we've been friends for 53 years. And she, over the pandemic, let her hair go silver. And I was like, I just was like, you know, what? Now, to be fair, both of her parents have been silver for a long time. So she knew it was going to look good because it looks great on them. But it was a bold move, right? It was a really bold move. And I was like, I don't know if I could do that. And she did it. And she looks great. And she's so happy. And she's like, my husband feels like he got a new wife. I think that the languaging, like you said, is so important. And especially, I want that same thing for people when they're talking about their stuff and their clutter. And I hear so many people say like, oh, I'm just lazy. Or I'm like, you have a full time. I was doing a virtual session with this lovely woman who like works in accounting at a huge law firm and just like nursed her sister through hospice. And she was like, I'm just lazy. I'm like, no, that has nothing to do with it. And by the way, guess what? There may be days when you want to be lazy. And so I think we have to be very mindful. And this is the work that I like to do with my clients. Like, what's your goal? And your goal can't be a negative one. Like, what's your goal? Do you want to be able to host a party? Do you want to be able to have friends come visit? Do you want to stop paying for a storage unit? Like, let's think the positive and then go backwards into how decluttering and organizing will get you to that goal and not, I'm a bad housekeeper. Because if you're just a bad housekeeper, you can hire somebody if you can afford it. It's like, (laughs) so I'm really like, really about how do we implement those changes for a positivity And what are you going to gain? And sometimes, I mean, so many people say to me, they're like, I just want peace. I just want my house to feel peaceful. Like there's so much crap. And I'm like, I got it. I hear you. That is one of, to me, that's one of the best goals. So much of this is all interconnected, right? Like what you're talking about, the anti-aging stuff and all. I mean, I'm on a journey now of experimenting with letting my hair go gray. And it's hard because there's so much messaging around it. And then there's a connection with clutter because in marketing and capitalism, consumerism, right? I'm examining like, why do I have these negative feelings about gray hair? To your point, what does that mean? Like, there's, is it just the fear of aging? Like, is it a beauty thing? Who cares? If I don't really care, why am I letting other people's feelings about gray hair impact me? But it's also coming down to, I'm not someone interested in spending my time on money on my hair. I never have been. I barely even get my hair cut. I'm just not someone that goes to the hair salon. So do I want to maintain dyeing my hair all the time, either at home or at a hair salon? That's not how I want to spend my money. That's not. I don't want to buy all these products just to maintain my hair. And something like that has that whole ripple effect of understanding my values and what it is that's important to me. And that's actually 
protecting my peace. So when you bring up peace, that internal peace side of it is so big because these negative feelings that build up inside of us, whether it's around laziness, it's a huge one too that I'm constantly tackling, or it's about being perceived by others, our beauty, our worth in the world, like all of these things. That's happening on so many levels and our home is just one part of that because we have all these judgments about our home and what it looks like when people come to visit or when we get on Zoom or whatever else we're doing. It's that fear of how we're being perceived. And I imagine, Tracy, with your work in Los Angeles area where we're both based, you hear that like constantly people's fears around perception. Totally. Interesting thing, but I will say something interesting about that because yes, I think that if they're sort of keeping up with the Kardashians and you want it to look perfect because that's what everybody else has, like there's no authenticity there for me. But I will say that a lot of people who call me feel like their clutter, their cluttered home is keeping them from participating in life, that they don't invite people over because they're embarrassed about how it looks. So they're sort of, they're not diving in, they're not participating. So what I want to try and do is like, how can we get it to a place that's maintainable for you, works for you, and you're comfortable having people? Because people don't know this. It's the same thing about like clothes. You have to have all these different clothes and you have to wear different clothes. And I'm like, no one notices. Like no one notices. Like people notice when you look nice, but no one notices that you wore that dress. I think Michelle Obama and Kate, Princess Kate or William, I think those two women really normalized wearing things. Jill Biden does it also. Normalized wearing clothes, again, being photographed in them. And I'm like, great. Like it's a beautiful dress. You should wear it. And so that to me is really pretty spectacular. And I love that conversation is coming around. I'm also, this is another good part of TikTok. I am loving all those young women, men too, who are buying secondhand clothes, who are like, yeah, I'm not paying full price and like thrift store shopping and so fun. There's a whole thing going on right now, like young women. I've not really seen a lot of young men do it, but young women going into like their grandma's closet or their mom's closet or the attic and being like, what? It's just, it just fills me with joy. It's so fun and they're having so much fun with it. And so that is a very positive social media that that's been normalized as opposed to those like, want to see my sheen haul? Where you're like, ugh, what? (laughs) Well, speaking of secondhand, that's an interesting thing too, because secondhand seems to be the result of people getting rid of things that they don't need or selling things to make some money from it, which can be great. I mean, that's a huge benefit of decluttering. It's like you probably have a lot of items in your home that someone else wants. And whether you're donating them or selling them, like you're sitting on something that could be valuable. Those amazing buy nothing groups. Like I love those buy nothing groups. Like we put stuff up on it for clients all the time. And so that normalizing that cycle of this, you may not want it anymore, but somebody else can use it. That's fantastic. Oh yeah. I'm so glad you brought up the buy nothing because I was thinking about that too. I actually met a really cool woman down the street from me because of the buy nothing group. And I was thinking this is so great 
And I was thinking the other day about how much positivity I have around something like yard sales, which I used to love to go to when I grew up in Massachusetts. It was very different from LA, like the whole experience of the small town versus the big city. But the reason I think that felt good is it's kind of fun to see what other people are getting rid of. And then you also get to give them money, which can feel good. You can get a great deal, but it connects you with other people. And I think a lot of us are yearning for that too. And I imagine that comes up in in the work that you're doing, the connection side of it, not just with yourself, but what do these items mean to you? And you mentioned like how clutter could actually lead you to feeling disconnected because you're afraid of other people maybe judging you. Is that what comes up? Yeah, or yeah, people are judging you or you feel like your house is in a shape to have people over. And so then you just stop participating. One of the things say this a lot, and I love that you brought all that up. If letting go of stuff is hard for you, if you're someone who you're like, "Ah, I can't, I know I don't need it. I don't like it, but I can't. I always say a great place to start is like a buy nothing group or a smaller donation place or a friend. Like if you know that the thing you're getting rid of is going to help somebody or they really need it, it's so much easier to let go. I mean, I tell this story in my first book, but I had a client whose husband died and they were young. I mean, they were, I don't even think they were in their forties maybe. And he had a lot of stuff and he didn't do her any favors. He knew he was sick and didn't want to talk about it. So when he passed, she was left with like helicopters and guns and like so much difficult stuff. We got rid of everything and we didn't. We She wanted to move and leave LA. She never liked it here. And they moved here for his work. And like at the very, we're kind of down to the end and the moving truck was coming and she had this, it's so funny. Like people think I make it up and I'm like, no, it actually was a painting of dogs playing poker. Everybody jokes about it, but it really was that. And I was like, okay, what about this? Like, not her taste. She's going to have that cute coastal chic look. And she was like, oh, this painting, like it was in every one of his houses. And he, his brother hated it. And I hate his brother, but I feel like I have to keep it. And I was like, no, you hate the painting. You hate the brother. It's not your painting. You kept things that were memories of you to him that like, let's let it go. So she and I were driving to drop off donations and we were pulling this giant, it was also giant, out of the car. And it was one of those moments of life where you were like, oh yeah, everything happens for a reason. This kid popped out of a car and he was like, in the parking lot, he's like, is that a painting of dogs playing poker? And we were like, yeah. And he just goes, oh my gosh, I'm a theater major at UCLA and I'm directing my first play. And that's a set piece that we need. And we haven't been able to find one. And she was like, please take it. Please take it right now. Can I load, like, can I load it in your car? And he was like, I can't believe this. Like we were supposed to open in two nights. And, and she was like, bye-bye. Like it went to where it was supposed to go. It was no longer her problem. And she was like, She just looked at me and I was like, you got to trust when you let go of the stuff, it ends up where it needs to go. And you hanging on to it because you can't, that's not where it's supposed to be. So I always tell people like, when you let go, it will end up where it's supposed to be. What a great story that is on so many levels. It touches upon something else I would love to address, which is the impact of clutter, not just on your life, but on others. 
especially after you pass away. This is something my mom's really into because her father took so much pride in not having clutter. And he said when he was still alive, he said to my mom, like, I'm so proud that when I pass away, you won't have to deal with all my clutter. Like you're going to go into my attic and there's nothing there. And my mom got really into that too, almost to an extreme. I was like, okay, mom, you've gotten rid of enough Roll stuff. Roll it back. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like it's hard. Sometimes getting rid of clutter too fast is very uncomfortable because you have to process what that meant and all that. But I do really respect her and my grandfather for that mentality because I've heard of some people and actually on my other side of the family, when my grandparents passed, it took so long to go through all their stuff and the burden that had on my dad and his siblings. And my mom is really trying to be proactive. And I'm thinking, what a great gift you're giving me when that time comes. And I'm curious, does this come up in your work? And what have you learned from that? Oh, yeah. A big part, I would say probably 25 to 30% of my business is emptying houses after someone's passed away. So I am very in this conversation. And look, when you accumulate stuff, you become the steward of it, right? It's your responsibility now. You've bought it. You've consumed it. You have it. And I don't think it's kind to the people in your life to leave a mess for them. This is your mess. Clean it up. And I think also what happens is it's like people pass away and then the people who have to go through all this stuff are like, oh, I can't possibly get rid of this because Nana held on to it forever. And it's like, well, Nana just held on to it because she just didn't declutter. Like it has no meaning to Nana. And so they make up these huge stories about it. And one of the amazing things that kind of decluttering when you're sort of at this age where you're like, I see the, I know the end is maybe not, I mean, it's inevitable, but it's that what I love to see is people giving away things while they're still alive. I have a client who's 94. I love her more than anything. About 10 years ago, she started to give away her very fancy jewelry and everyone in her family freaked out. Are you getting ready to die? This is so morbid. I don't want to talk about it. And her point was like, no, I have terrible arthritis. I cannot wear these pins anymore. I can't wear these rings. I'm not going out. I want to give it to you so that I can have lunch and have you wear it. It was so heartfelt and it was so making her just kind of a master of her own destiny. And kind of a lot of people were like, oh, I get it. And I think that there's so much power in that and sort of waiting until you die. Also, I think we haven't caught up with this idea. It used to be like stuff. I I do a very deep dive in the second book and make space for happiness. But pre-manufacturing going overseas, stuff wasn't cheap and it was harder to come by. So we had less stuff. Manufacturing went overseas. Everything got cheap. We buy, 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 buy. So in the olden days, things were passed down because you just didn't have it. Like if you needed, there was a time if you needed a coffee mug, you had to go and make it. You had to clay and make it. So now that manufacturing has gone overseas and everything's cheap, we have too much. So we don't leave things to people in the same way because I see this so much. It's like, they're like, I want to declutter people in their 50s, 60s. I want to declutter, but my kids don't want any of this because they got full houses themselves. So I think that this idea of when you're looking like we're eventually all going to transition and transcend and 
So be kind, like deal with your mess, like don't leave it for somebody else. And maybe that adds like a bigger meaning to it beyond yourself. Because sometimes I think people get stalled when they're too focused inward, right? Like even though being focused inward has so many benefits, sometimes looking outside of ourselves has just as many, if not more, and it can be a big motivation. And there's probably no, like, it's never too early to start thinking about that because none of us know how long we have truly. And sometimes I get into that mentality, like, wow, like nobody would know what to do with my stuff. And to your point, Tracy, I love this. It's like a lot of my stuff doesn't have a meaning. I'm just holding on to it out of oftentimes I'm just procrastinating, getting rid of it. Or I get into that trap of, well, what if I need it later? Kind of out of this idea of, I don't want to have to buy more stuff. So why don't I hold on to the things I already have? Because what if I get rid of something and I need it later? What do you tell people with that, by the way? What's the answer? Yeah, that's such a great one. I mean, I think a couple things about that. I definitely think, yes, like if there's a good chance that you're going to need it. I also think you have to historically look backwards and like how often have you needed that thing? The other thing is like, do you have a place to store that thing? So can you have somewhere where you put it away if you need it? And also, if you don't, is it something that you could borrow from somebody else or inexpensively buy again? Like I am definitely like, don't throw things away. If you're going to use them, we don't want to buy them over again. But also like, have you ever used... I mean, I give this example all the time. I have this giant platter. I use it for Thanksgiving... I've used it for Thanksgiving for 25 years. It's kind of a pain to store, but I have a place for it. And I use it twice or three times a year, but it's like, I use it and it's great. So I don't want to buy another one. Like I got it on sale at Williams-Sonoma 25 years ago. And it's like, that's great. I don't need that again. So I think that in that conversation, part of it is like, well, have I ever used this? Like ever? Maybe if it's a never ever use, chances are you're probably not going to need it. And would I be able to find it again? But I think a lot of that also kind of comes around what your space is. And I think that's another conversation. And nobody addresses this on, I mean, a little bit for smaller spaces. But you know, I think so much of social media, it's like, you don't know how big somebody's house is, you don't know how many linen closets they have, like, they can have all this storage that you just don't have access to. And so to assume that you can... I have this lovely woman who follows me who's in the Netherlands. And she's... I, I mean, I think she lives in like 175 square feet or like 225, like like tiny little like Amsterdam cool apartment. And she'll post pictures of stuff she does. And she's so creative with what she has to do with this tiny space. and But it's having a different conversation than someone who's got a five-bedroom ranch house in Calabasas. Absolutely. I think the minimalism movement that was so big many years ago. By the way, for the record, I have to say this, the minimalist movement that was started by a bunch of white guys who all have wives. I'm just going to say that. I've been... uh, Wait, I need to hear more about that. What do you mean? Just the big voices in it. Like, I don't want to say their names. People know who they are, but they were white. They were totally affluent white men with wives. And it's like, okay, well, that's easy to become a minimalist when you got somebody doing all all your work for you. Like that's that kind of stuff where you have to understand that like all this, I mean, I have this, I come in and consult with people when they're building houses. Like 
What do you need for a linen closet? And I'm in this argument all the time with contractors and architects where I'm like, well, put the washing machine down on the third floor. And I'm like, okay, you've clearly never done a load of laundry because that's so far to go. And so this conversation about the patriarchy and who's involved in the house. And that for me was so much of that minimalist movement. It's sort of very akin also to me to like food apartheid where you're like, okay, yeah, everyone should be eating organic. But if you live in a neighborhood where you don't even have access to grocery stores, like we can't even have that conversation. I don't know if you've been seeing this play out, but there's this I don't even know what his name is. Some guy on TikTok who's like all about processed food being bad for you. And he posted this video. He went to a cafeteria in a children's hospital and he was like, look at all this garbage and these kids, blah, blah, blah. And all these people got on. They were like, my child was in the hospital with cancer for six months and couldn't eat anything. And the only thing they wanted was a Pop-Tart. And you know what? I would have given them a thousand Pop-Tarts a day. Like this sort of hubris of this guy to assume, sure, would it have been great if these kids could eat organic color of the rainbow? But if your kid is on chemo and you just need them to get calories, and I sometimes feel that a lot about the minimalist movement, like, okay, well, you quit your big tech job and got rid of all your stuff and look at you. Like, it makes me crazy. I am with you on that. I mean, I'm so glad again that you're bringing this up much like the ableism side of it. There's a big tie to the these oversimplified solutions to things that seem to target people that might have the resources and then people that don't have the resources or the lifestyle or whatever is going on in their life. The ability really, they feel shame because well, why can't I have this? Why can't I do this? Why does this work so well? Unfortunately, a lot of that's rooted in privilege, all the different levels of privilege that people have. And it's hard because I have a lot of privilege. So it's easy for me to oversee the fact that it's not accessible to others. And I think you bringing that up is so important. Yeah. And Whitney, clutter is a luxury. Look, I'm telling you, they're not like in the jungles of Guatemala, like they're not, we have to start there. And I work with a lot of people. It's super interesting to me. I work with a lot of sort of first gen children of immigrants who are like, I didn't learn how to organize my mom. My mom kept everything. And you're like, yeah, of course. I mean, I don't know if you, Ali Wong has this absolute great bit she does about her mom like keeping all the yogurt containers. And she's just like, mom, throw it out. And her mom was like, you don't know when you need to dig your way out of communist Vietnam. And she's like, yeah, you're right. Like, you're totally right. And so I think that in this conversation, we have to understand, like, were your parents the kids of depression era? Like, did your family survive the Holocaust? Like all that generational stuff is such an important part. And so I'm never like, throw it all away, but also sort of understand, oh, we did it this way. My family's always done it this way, but this way doesn't work for me anymore. And that especially is when you kind of inherit things from past generations. It's like, well, I have to keep this. And I'm like, do you have to? Do you love it? If you love it and it tells a story of your family, great. But if you resent it and you're paying to store it, do you? It sounds like context is a really big key. And that seems to have been a thread through in this amazing conversation, Tracy, and just helping people get perspective, understand their why, put their lives into 
context, realize how relative things are, not being hyper-focused and on comparing yourself to others through social media or even people that you know. There's just so many helpful lessons that you've pointed out during our time together. And I'm just so grateful, Tracy. Like I said, from the beginning, you just blew my mind. You took clutter to a level that I have never gone before in a conversation at least. And I think this is incredibly helpful and hopefully soothing, comforting to people who've been feeling like they're struggling and don't know why. And you being so focused on that why, helping people get there through your books, through your consulting. And the fact that you have virtual sessions too is so great because speaking of access, if somebody wants to work with you privately, is that something you do regularly, the virtual sessions? Yeah. It's an interesting... Because it's almost more like a kind of coaching sort of scenario. Like we work plan and accountability and support. It's sort of not the luxury of the hands-on. I'm going to sort through the stuff with you. But they're very successful. And I love doing them. I get to meet all sorts of people. And it was great. I just did one with a woman who was so lovely and had like both her parents and a bro- like four people had passed away in this time. And in a short period of time, and she had all this stuff. And we were kind of going through it. And she just was really stuck. And then she got around to talking about her grandmother's recipes and they were handwritten and they just lit her up. And I was like, oh my, like scan them, like make a cookbook for the family, like whatever the Afghans, you don't like them, get rid of them. Like you can kind of identify. And I do think while I think that in my experience with my clients, Marie Kondo is very oversimplified, but I do think that sort of spark joy, like, does this thing light you up? Like, I do think that conversation that she started was amazing. It just turned a corner for everything. But as a client of mine once said to me, is guilt ridden sentimentality the same thing as joy? I was like, nah. <laughs> well, it sounds like you've learned so many amazing lessons from your clients and There's just so many opportunities to reflect on all of this, Tracy. So again, thanks for being here with me. Thanks for the work that you do with your books, your virtual sessions in person. And also, you mentioned your TikTok and Instagram. I mean, I really encourage the listener to go check out any of the above, which will all be linked to in the show notes for this episode. So if you go to wellevator.com, which is spelled W-E-L-E-V-A-T-R.com, You'll find it all there in one place throughout the blog post transcript of this episode, but also at the bottom in Tracy's bio, there'll be resources. We're also trying to make it very simple for you to find what you need and take some steps forward. And you can actually even very simply just look at the description of this episode and start from there. There'll be some links. So thank you, Tracy, for just giving me a rich conversation for myself and for the listener too. I really appreciate you. Oh, Whitney, thank you for having me on. I sort of knew from our little pre-interview, I was like, oh yeah, this is going to be a good one. And then with you, like we got one life that we know of. Let's make it the best we can be. So whatever I can do, whatever, I'm very lucky that I sort of became a conduit for a lot. of, And so I'm like, yeah, let's disseminate it. Let's share it with everybody. I want us all to win. I want us all to have the best life possible. That's absolutely beautiful, Tracy. The way that you articulate all of that too is so moving and refreshing. So very thrilled to have had this time with you. 
Me too. I think you and I are going to see each other again. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.